Welcome to the seventh episode of the Ithacast. I'm Duck Sung Nguyen. And I'm Seth Murta, and we're here with Jolene Almandares, who up until very recently was the uh, managing editor of the Ithaca Voice. Uh, so Jolene, I thought we could start off with maybe uh, you telling us a little bit about your background and how you came to Ithaca and how you came to work at the Ithaca Voice. Yeah. So I'm actually still the managing editor until Friday. Oh, sorry. I thought okay. it was because you have though, a new job. That's the big news. Yeah, because I'm even though I'm leaving on Tuesday, I, I'm right to the end. Wow. <laughs> um, Dedication. Well, I actually yeah, ended probably. up. Yeah, also that. <laughs> uh, I ended up in Ithaca because I um, I was in San Antonio and I ended up getting into journalism and then um, eventually I took a job at the Post Standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was there for a little bit and sort of just my first introduction to journalism. I wasn't sure if I was going to stay in it. It wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. I felt like I was doing like a lot of like I learned a lot and I worked with, worked with a lot of amazing people and a lot of different styles of producing a news organization. So I would never talk bad about that. But one of the things um, is that it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I, I felt like I was doing clickbait articles. And mm. I think the most embarrassing story I ever wrote was cat stuck in tree, cat okay. But only because we had a really funny picture of a cat in a tree being <laughs> saved by like firefighters. But I mean, that's not why anyone gets into journalism. Like you get into journalism because you want to like talk about like corruption and exciting things or important things. Probably a little more than exciting, and so. But cats are so cute. I the picture was so adorable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I knew that Jeff was here. I knew that like he'd left right before I started at the Post Standard. Jeff Stein, our co-founder, mm-hmm. or our actual our founder, and um, he, I interviewed for a job here because I was like, well, screw it, I'll just spend like the next year deciding what I'm gonna do. And so I came here and then I really loved the Ithaca Voice, just mm-hmm. like the nonprofit model. And I loved the kind of journalism that we do. And, um, and then I decided to stay. And then I got like reinvigorated about journalism and like telling stories and writing. And um, yeah, now I'm really like, I know I want to like keep doing it. So it's kind of really exciting. And that's how I ended up in Ithaca. Were you the first reporter after Jeff that was hired? Yeah. So when I got to the Ithaca Voice, it was Jeff. And then he got a co-founder, Mike Blaney, and uh, Mike did business and Jeff did the news. And then I was hired. They started in um, June of 2014. And then I was hired in, I started in May of 2015. So, I mean, you must, I mean, it must have been running on a shoestring budget at first. I mean, what, so what were some of the challenges of, of getting, launching the voice and growing the voice? Launching and growing. So I think one of the huge challenges in doing nonprofit news on like a or any kind of news on like a small staff is that there's way more stories than you can ever do. Mm-hmm. So even if you walked into the office right now, the Ithaca Voice office, I have a giant post-it note on the board and I have like a hundred stories on there. Right. And some of them are crossed off, <laughs> I would like to say. But a lot of them um just you never I never got to it. Mm-hmm. And um that's probably the hardest thing is figuring out how to prioritize news and how to prioritize not just your news values, but also the needs of the reader, which can be really different sometimes. So I know like the reader really wants to know like why there's a crash on 
a particularly mm-hmm. a particular road. I might not be super excited about writing that story, but so important to people in the community. Like, really want to know. We get right. emails about these things and Facebook yeah. messages, um, and sort of pairing that with other important things happening in the community or people who have other interesting t- stories to tell. So it's balancing the daily stuff with the more with the stories of substance is really difficult to do when there's only two people writing the news. Do you, do you find that the, the daily stories, the stories about the crash or, mm-hmm. or crime stories, do they tend to get more traffic than the stories that are maybe One, about city hall or 100%. Politics or, yeah. <laughs> so we look at our analytics because we do our week in review to see what people were reading. Mm-hmm. And something that took 20 minutes to write that's interesting, mm-hmm. that's worth knowing about. Um, for instance, this morning there was a minor fire at Ithaca Bakery. Right. right. Everybody wanted to know what happened. And we were actually a little late on it because somebody who works there let us know exactly what happened. And it was so minor mm-hmm. that we... That I actually said, no, 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 I'm not going to write about that. But then, like, the questions kept coming in. Everyone loves the Ithaca Bakery. And, right. like, everyone drives by there. Like, people really wanted to know, like, is everybody okay? Is it still open? Can we eat there? Like, is it going to be closed? And so, like, yes. Yeah, so, so yeah, we, we got to write that story. And so a story like that might just literally be our most read story by the end of the week. And it was something that we uh, – Kelsey actually wrote it up, and she did it just – pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and then a story that's like i'm out on election night and i'm talking to different viewing parties about how they're feeling about candidates and i'm spending like hours out there taking photos talking to people trying to think of an interesting way and a dynamic way to tell a story and then (laughs) that got (laughs) hardly any views right right so but it's still interesting it's still important and and so that's how i think we're different from other media places is knowing like as i'm there like like, we can see trends. We know those stories don't do well. Right. But we still know that those stories are really, really important to tell. Um, so, it's yeah, it's a huge balancing act. So, so a big part of the reason why The Voice exists is because there's a vacuum in local news. Um, you know, the Ithaca Journal has been kind of struggling for years. And I know that there have been layoffs and they're not um, covering meetings to the same degree that they did. So it really is, I think, a vacuum that the Ithaca Voice kind of stepped in to fill it. Um, so what are some, I mean, what are some of the challenges of of, of producing you know, local media and covering local stories? Because as I'm sure it's something that every city in the country is, is dealing with. Um, you know, that people, I mean, as clearly as you said, like there is a real demand to know what's happening in your community. I mean, these stories are really highly trafficked, so people want to know. Um, how, I mean, how do you think cities should... Um, adapt to this new world where, you know, the big newspapers, the Gannett, the big corporations are kind of shrinking. And The only thing shrinking at Gannett is the number of staff. Like, Gannett, like, okay, so here's a really perfect example. In San Antonio, where I'm from, the Express News had layoffs. I think, I'm going off the top of my head, but I think it was like 14 people in the newsroom were laid off. And that earlier in the year, they reported record profits. So it's not that the money isn't there in some cases for large media organizations that they're choosing not to invest in communities. And so how can cities adapt? The number one thing you can do is you have to get a newspaper subscription and donate. It's so, so essential. Um, it's the only thing you can do because 
it's the only way you can make it work. We're basically in a culture where there's free news and all the news mm-hmm. is free yeah. or all the news is not being reported. And so that's the number. Oh, man. I feel like I'm just going to say that like a hundred times in a row, but, and, and not doing it has consequences. So for instance, um, by the time this is on air, I'm sure it'll be a little more public, but Nick Reynolds, uh, from the Ithaca times, he's leaving for a job that offered him a decent paycheck, which he's not actually, it's not that great right now. So he's leaving for that reason. And, um, you know, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving for a different reason. But um, like we have another, uh, Olivia Covert is leaving. Kelsey O'Connor is going to stay at The Voice, but um, she's leaving in a year. Like as Mm -hmm. soon as her boyfriend gets his PhD, she's just going to go to a bigger market where she can like get paid on time and have health insurance. Um, So that just means less people in the community to report the stories you really care about. And I think it's hard for people to think of that concept of like stories I care about. What does that mean? Cause they're not actually stories. They're issues you care about. Mm-hmm. They're the things happening to your friend or your mom, or they're the really, really good news that you get during the day. Like you're, you know, someone who wins like a really cool award and you think it deserves to be recognized by the mm-hmm. paper, but it's also stuff like, something horrible happened to your friend and you really want to bring light to the issues surrounding that. Or there's something happening in your neighborhood that your sidewalk has been messed up for three years. These are all things that we report about. And so when I say stories that people care about, I'm saying like issues people care about. And I think journalism really shines light on these issues because even though people in government or the police chief or the district attorney or local business leaders, even though they're generally accessible in the community, it's important to remember like that most people aren't going to like walk up to like either one of you and tell you all about, well, some people do, but most people, (laughs) it's a little intimidating to go up to someone and say like, you're doing this wrong or that this isn't fair, that this shouldn't be that way. And so journalism sort of bridges the gap. Yeah. For sure. I mean, there was some recent research about how public spending suffers when local media doesn't exist or fails. Mm. Um, and I try to bring this up once in a while on the floor where I say, you know, no one writes us about increasing uh, spending and taxes, even though it's like the biggest issue or uh, approving new bonds. Um, it's kind of odd. Like they'll, they'll write in dozens upon dozens of letters about the nines and, and not about spending. And I do think we do our best, uh, but nonetheless, it wouldn't hurt to to push us on things and to challenge our decisions. And that's one area in which, you know, I, I get surprisingly little pushback, but that, that local media can, can kind of do the research. But again, that takes a lot of time compared to the short stories like you were talking about. And it is, it is kind of nerve wracking to me that we have so many good people leaving in a short period of time. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think, um, I mean, you've been doing great work at the voice. I know the Ithaca times has been doing great work. Yeah, the Ithaca also. times in the past, like since Nick, started there has He's done a great job. just produced incredible work. And so all of a sudden it's going to be like, what? we're losing these people who have, who have mm-hmm. you know, done such great job reporting on, on the community. Um, it's, it's a real challenge. And then we have to figure out like, how are we going to move forward? I think collectively as a community, because I do think it's, it's obviously extremely important. Um, you know, I think, I think the last thing elected officials, want is to just be making decisions in a vacuum with nobody, you know, writing about it or nobody reporting on it. 
Um, it makes me nervous sometimes, like Duck was saying, that sometimes you'll be dealing with some pretty weighty decisions that aren't necessarily like the sexiest thing in the world, like the rebuild of our water treatment plant, which was like $36 million, right? And then we'll get a lot more comments or a lot more people upset about, you know, a bike lane that's taking mm-hmm. place and parking on a street. And you just think, well, the one just seems so much more consequential. It's actually really adding to like the city's debt. And there's like these big questions about like increasing water rates versus like removing, you know, yeah, a dozen parking spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the media is the one that really, as you were saying, like the media is the one that really kind of fills that, fills that gap and can kind of helps the public to understand like what, what the crucial and what the big issues are. Well, and not just that, I also feel like another reason it's crumbling, like there are some other, it's not just the state of journalism and trying to figure out how to make journalism sustainable. That's not the only reason people are leaving. I think another issue for me that I really thought about in leaving was that even if I made twice as much money as I make right now, I will never be able to afford to buy a house in the city of Ithaca. Right. Like if I made twice as much money, I still can't afford it. I don't even think I could afford to rent a nice house if I made twice as much money. And that's something you really have to think about because like, am I going to be like, like right now I'm a 30 year old person living in the apartment that looks like it should be for like a college freshman. It's basically how small it is. But um, with just the bad wages and the high cost of living just to exist here, I mean, it really, really feels impossible. And that's not just for journalists. That's for anyone who's wanting to pursue a career that's not going to make them wealthy. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's true of nonprofit work. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's true that a lot of people in this community are kind of like piecing together multiple part-time jobs for that exact reason or multiple jobs uh, for that exact reason because the one one job doing the thing that you love can't pay enough to afford a nice apartment so you have to supplement it with with other with other jobs i mean it's definitely an issue that we struggle with here and i'm sure it's something that like journalists also struggle with in other cities i mean i can't imagine what it'd be like in a place like san francisco or boston or you know um where the cost of living is even higher than it is here yeah so it's a real challenge can you remind me, you did a multi-part series on something, um, and, and The Voice once in a while does something like this. Like I know Jeff worked on the homelessness series. Yeah, there's been refugees. The most recent one was our food insecurity series. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. I think that is, there's something to be said for that project, because I think that's where the future in journalism might be. Um, so a while back, I got really curious. In the last round of cuts at the Ithaca Journal, I thought it would be cool if local news sort of teamed up to do uh, a project. And so for Feeding Tompkins, oh, and this goes right back to what people want to read about. So in Feeding Tompkins, uh, the Ithaca Voice, WRFI, and Hot Potato Press all teamed up to do this interesting project that probably would have been really overwhelming for one person to do. And so we all just sort of sat around. And so we took on like the different ways in which people struggle with food insecurity in the community. And we were able to have like charts and videos and audio and a ton of interviews and all of the stories. And I think um, that was one of, I think that's definitely the way forward. If we could find a way to fund projects like that, Mm -hmm. that'd be really, really cool. Um, Yeah, so that was a recent one. We've done homelessness refugees we've been covering we used to have an opioid epidemic page and everything still sort of filters to that page but yeah i I remember at first thinking that that was a series but um that was after the ithaca plan came out but that's just been like an ongoing series series, yeah. (laughs) yeah so i guess there's like a lot of ones that have happened i don't know 
And when you do a big series mm-hmm. like that, again, I mean, do people read it? Are people interested? Our food insecurity series was not well received. It was, I remember one piece in particular, and I had a really sexy headline on it. It was something like the statistic of how many elderly people are food insecure in this community. And gosh, I, I wish I could remember what it was because the number is just astounding. There's yeah. like, um, of, of elderly people who just don't have access to food. Right. And that was in the headline. And I remember thinking, man, this is going to outrage people. They're going to be really outraged that there are elderly people in this community who can't eat. And that story got like 800 page views. <laughs> wow. In a 100,000 person county. Well, and like an average story will get like maybe like 2,000. And then like a, not I'm not sitting there counting, but I just am generally aware of what our metrics are. Like an average story will get like 2,000. And then like a like a crash will get like 8,000. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so yeah, to have like 800 people read a story that was so important about like people suffering in this community mm-hmm. and lack of resources for them, that was really difficult when you do big stories like that um do you raise money to to do them or do you do you have like a special any kind of special funding source to like i don't we have in the past i don't think that's the way forward yeah it doesn't work um yeah it really doesn't work we've been trying to think of so part of the ethical voice isn't just to do news i think jeff's original idea was to find a sustainable business model for Mm -hmm. local news and I will very plainly say we have not found it. Mm-hmm. Um, the fundraisers we've done in the past don't raise a lot of money. The we've, we've run, when we've done our birthday parties, we've sort of tried to use that as a fundraiser. And every year we just about break even. Like wow. the amount of, and, and that's with businesses donating. Like I think uh, Luna Street Food last year gave us the food at cost. Mm-hmm. They didn't even charge us for like the labor that was used oh, or that. anything. They didn't turn any kind of profit. They did it at cost. And we still, like with the money that we raised, were only able to pay for the use of the space and the food. It was... That's absurd. That's crazy. It's insane. It really, really is. And it comes... I've thought about putting up a paywall on The Voice, a $1 paywall, and it will get you a subscription all year. Mm-hmm. Because um, we get about 110,000 unique vi- visitors in a month, mm. um, which is like more people. Like we don't even have that many people in the county. Um, I thought about like, what if I put up a $1 paywall? Everyone can afford $1. But it goes back to like whether or not news should be free. And I do believe news should be free. Mm-hmm. But how do you get people to give you $1? <laughs> yeah. And there's the friction of like pulling out your credit card and all that stuff. <clears throat> and it's not reasonable necessarily, but... It is a barrier. And I know like you recently switched, you switched systems for recurring donations because mm-hmm. I'm a regular donor. And so I had to, it, the old system was automatically canceled. And then so I had to go to GiveGab and start a new recurring donation. And I'm sure you lost a, a bunch of donors in that transition. Oh, Jesus, we did. And we that's not something we wanted to do. That was, we switched our fiscal sponsors when we... When the mic is no longer running, I will tell you guys all about that. But yeah, it's hard. And um, you know, to your point about trying to support it, I I do try to support everybody. I, I donate to the Voice. I subscribe to the Journal, even though it's mostly terrible. <laughs> I have a you know, I contribute via Patreon to Josh Brokoff, former Ithaca Times reporter, but now on his own. Um, I know Seth used to work, uh, used to write for the Ithaca Times, and so he's certainly very sympathetic. 
So I agree. We, you know, you should try to support the local media that does the research into what's going on in this town. Yeah. And it's support. It doesn't even necessarily always have to be money. It could just be like, share the story. Okay. I have no idea where we were. Yeah. We got interrupted by a Nightberg canvasser. Uh, I don't remember either. (laughs) Like I was just. And we were very impressed that he was canvassing on the 4th of July. Oh, we were talking about funding. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that you can, there are a lot of ways to, it's not just money. Sometimes it's just to share our story or to subscribe to a oh. newsletter or, um, because those numbers matter. And you, I think you get a lot. If you, I think if you subscribe to our newsletter, you get just the breakdown of everything that's happened in the week. And I think that's oh. really useful because there's yeah. no way people are reading every single story. Right. Right. Um, but then on the flip side, like just by reading the news, we may be able to get a salesperson to put a sponsor on that mm. newsletter. So it's not just money. It's also reading, it's sharing, it's signing up for the newsletter. It's mm-hmm. coming to some of the panels we do from time to time to hear what we've got going on so we can have a showing that people are really reading these stories. So, What is the breakdown? Like, Do most of your visits come via social media uh, versus like visiting the webpage directly versus newsletter? So we've actually got a large number of people who get to the website sort of on its own. But Facebook is unfortunately so essential. I don't know a single media person who loves Facebook. We get a whole lot from Facebook. We don't get a huge amount of views from Twitter. And I think our Instagram, um, it's hard to measure that because you can't put links. But we've Mm -hmm. gotten a lot more followers lately. So yeah, so we rely on Facebook. And Facebook is a business. And Basically, if you're signed up to follow The Voice, you're probably not seeing our stories because Facebook wants to charge businesses and companies to boost our posts. Mm -hmm. So they're saying, oh, well, you've got whatever, 30,000 followers. Well, we're going to only let 2,000 of those people see what you're sharing Mm -hmm. because we want you to pay to boost or buy an advertisement instead of sharing a post. So I think every journalist in the world kind of hates Facebook. Because, I mean, if you would just let these things happen organically, I just wonder how the news cycle would be different. Like, would people keep following The Voice? Would they share our stories more? Would they read our right. stories more? Like, if you could just, like, let the process happen. I, yeah, I hate Facebook. <laughs> well, it makes sense because, like, I think several months ago they had announced a decision to try to promote personal posts more than uh posts from pages uh and so that probably affects your your readership quite a bit i mean i have that frustration because we both have these political pages that's why we try to share information directly to people but again unless you boost no one sees them i mean you can see the numbers where the number of people that it's even shown to never mind click through to whatever you're actually linking to right is really small out of you know your follower you know count yeah so how about your uh, your coverage of, of City Hall? Um, I know that that's been a big part of your beat. Not as much as I would like, though. Yeah, so I've been the managing editor. I always say like 70% of my job is reporting and about 30% of the job is administrative things. And mm-hmm. I was trying to write, as I'm leaving, like a page for the incoming managing editor, Kelsey O'Connor, like what those administrative things are. And I'm mm-hmm. really not sure. Oh. But I know <laughs> it's something like, I, I, I know on Thursdays and Fridays, that's when I do a lot of the admin stuff. On those days, I don't even get started on a story. It'll be like one or two o'clock. And I'm like, wow, I've just responded to these essential emails and called these people back about whatever it is they need. Um, 
So yeah, I guess it, it sort of comes down to resources of like, right. we've sort of become like known for our crime and courts coverage because literally nobody is covering criminal justice in the community. Mm-hmm. And um, mixing that with City Hall, yeah, we should have more time to be there actually. Yeah, on that point, I mean, there's a recent rape case, you know, involving Lot 10 that mm-hmm. I saw no coverage of anywhere other than The Voice. Yeah. And it's completely news to me. The conversation online ended up extending past the person who... Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was, was a lot was of on commentary trial. online. And so had you not covered this, right? nobody would have talked about this at all. And there were pretty serious issues. Very yeah. serious issues. Yeah, we read some of that too. The Me Too movement is, it's really, it's difficult. It's so empowering, especially like like as a woman, I think it's empowering, but I also think it should be empower- empowering for everybody. Um, but it, it raises some interesting questions, like like how long do we punish people? Like how long are we allowed to punish people? Like we support like, um, gosh, what's the, ban the box, right? So so we support that. We support like if it's someone's committed a crime that has nothing to do with the job that they're applying for, not asking about it. But then, like, like how long do we punish people for the crimes that they commit uh, has been really interesting. Are we allowed to... I think in the past, as journalists, we probably would have been really focused on the issue of libel, like basically just posting accusations against people. I, I mean, how do, we, how do we think about those issues? Like, people deserve a fair trial, but people who've been sexually assaulted or raped or mistreated in other ways... I mean, they deserve a voice too, and for so long they haven't had one. So those are really interesting issues. And I thought the Lot 10 issue was also very complex. I mean, it did spark a lot of commentary, I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but the coverage of City Hall. Um, what particular? What do you mean? The Voice has done some great work on, on planning and economic development. You know, Brian Crandall is incredible. Um, you know, his his blog that sort of – he transitioned from the blog. Oh, he's still doing the blog, right? But then mm-hmm. he also writes for The Voice. Um, and then I just think over over the years, just thinking back about some of the, the coverage, there's been some big stories about things that are going on. I mean, I know that you've you've done some of those stories. I mean, mm-hmm. do you have any? Um, I don't know, but have you had any particular frustrations or challenges dealing with the city or oh, the uh, city? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm interested in hearing that from a journalist perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, as a member of the Common Council. So first, I think everyone on Common Council is really accessible, which is nice. Like, I can, like, call or text somebody. And, and sometimes it does, has nothing to do with, like, an issue. It's just, like, a general question. Like, how does this work? So that that's really nice. Um, I think release of information is always really difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly because, yes, there's a city attorney who sort of looks at what the city should release. But at the end of the day, the city attorney, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily serve the public, they serve the city as an mm-hmm. entity. So, and the way, I guess this is an awful way to think about it, the way the law works isn't necessarily to uphold the law, it is to serve your client. And so the city is the city attorney's client, so he serves the best interests of the city, and that means being very cautious about mm-hmm. the release of information. And so I you think mean with means, like foil, foil requests? Yeah, foil yeah. requests. Right. Um, I mean, being very cautious with the release of information. Um, but the flip side of that is I don't get an attorney to mm-hmm. challenge his interpretation of the law. I'm talking about Ari, who's a joy to work with in 99% of the cases. Um, but there was, okay, so not the city. Uh, there was some other entity uh, that literally told me that they thought that what I was asking for could be public, 
but that if I wanted it, I would have to like sue them. And it was kind of said with a chuckle because they know I don't have the money to sue them. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think those conversations happen behind closed doors a lot. Um, other issues are the live streaming of the meetings is great. And I wrote an editorial about this, but not getting the videos up in a timely manner really sets back. So, so right. basically all the city you're meetings. you're watching at home and you want to publish the article quickly. and you... not No, not just that. I'm talking about like there are city meetings all the time. Right. And I can't necessarily, like it's impossible to think that anyone in this city could go to every single city meeting. That's, in, that's insane. Um, but what I can do is, and also with other events happening, like I might have something else to do that evening or just mm-hmm. not the staff who can go. Um, and so it'd be great if we can like see the meetings in a timely fashion. I think that would greatly increase the amount of journalism that happens because then you could go during your lunch hour and like run the meeting and like listen to what's happening. Yeah. Um, that would be really, really helpful. Do, do you find that there's a benefit to actually seeing the meeting in person or is it fine? Is it fine just to like watch it on the live stream? Do you, do you feel like you, do, mm. you, do you gain anything from physically being there? In the room. I think it depends on the meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've often wondered about that. Just yeah, because I was curious too. Yeah. Because like I wonder why if if it, if you could just watch the live stream, like why would anyone ever go to the meeting? Right. <laughs> like, you can just watch it. But then I, there's some nights where we have like really big topics, like the nines designation mm-hmm. is kind of like that, where I almost think that it would it would be good just to be there, just to kind of see the whole environment, you know, and just right. see everything. Because yeah. the cameras won't pick up how packed City Hall is. Yeah, or just like what people in the audience are doing, are they? Are they mm-hmm. rolling their eyes? Are they fidgeting? You know, mm-hmm. right? those kinds of things are actually can kind of inform the the story, you know. And just to clarify, I mean, I kind of share Julian's frustrations on this, too. So we have live streaming, but it can take days, weeks, sometimes months to get the archived version of that video online. Right. So if you missed a live stream, it may be a long time before, before the video actually goes up online again so that you can watch it later. Uh, I share that frustration. We have a new information person who... I hope we'll get on this faster. I have my own desire for this, which is to stream them on YouTube and Facebook, and that those platforms automatically archive them as soon as the live stream is over, so no one has to do any work. There's a little bit of concern about real-time commentary and making it too accessible to people who are haters and could leave mean comments. <laughs> I think it's a kind of an absurd concern. But who, does people have that have that concern? Yes. Oh, people are afraid okay. that the either common council members, uh, members of city hall staff, or prominent members of the public might get attacked. If hmm. So we, we might get some of the Ethical Voice commenters coming <laughs> over. And just, That's right. Your, your commenters are famous. Yeah. You know, maybe want, notorious yeah. is a better I wanted to bring that up, actually. Uh, so let's, let's go there. Okay. <laughs> I've always found the comment section fascinating. I guess this is true of every comment section on any site or any you know any Facebook page. But Ithaca is known for being very liberal. But the comments are almost you know ninety percent hyper conservative from outside the city. They hate everything that we do. And so if you knew nothing about Ithaca, you just moved here, uh, and then you read the online commentary, you might think that everything we're doing is is opposed by everybody, and that's completely not true it's, <laughs> it's contrary to the personal communication that i get and my election and steph's election the mayor's election do you moderate the comments um on your ethical voice page so i would like to say in big newsrooms that have money it is literally somebody's job to moderate the commenters mm. 
And that person reaches out to commenters. They say, hey, these are our rules and regulations. Right. We do have like a terms of use that we sometimes send to people or post in the comments. And we have an automatic filter that hides comments that use a list of banned words. Mm. Um, and that's like profanity, racist words. We got the list off online, like mm-hmm. words you should ban. So we do have that. Um, the people like sneak their way around Sure. The man. Alternate spellings and stuff. And when I when stories get hundreds and hundreds of comments, and several do, like I say like a few times a month we'll get stories like that. The no, like I can't do that. <laughs> like if I if I did that, I would literally just be doing that. Just be else. doing that one thing. That would be my full time job. Um for other stories, you know, when I've asked people, I've said in the comments a lot, like, hey, tag me if you find anything that's you think it's questionable. Um, And the other side is, I also have to walk this line, like people are allowed to hate us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They they really are. They're allowed to say really mean things. Um, And I was actually, um, so we're having a vigil on Friday for the journalists that were killed recently. And I mentioned this in the article. I just can't, trying to find a way to finish it. Um, I mentioned that when we get these comments, I think every journalist has gotten like either like death threats or racist comments or comments about like being like punched in the face or shots. And it's actually, it was funny because Avante posted, I posted something about the shooting and he said, I'm sorry, you have to live in fear. And I thought, well, we're really not living in fear. We're really, that's a, pretty much our day to day is to get those awful kinds of comments. And I really thought about like, the comments the Ithaca Voice has gotten and the emails we've gotten and really like how we've taken it just like sort of with a laugh sometimes. And I'm not sure like, should we be taking those more seriously? And when people are attacking people, each other in the comments, like, should the voice take that seriously? Like, like how do you It's always a tough line between free that? speech and safety. Right. Um, the current you know president certainly doesn't help. He famously hates journalists um, and so there's this, there is this atmosphere of a lack of respect for journalism, this assumption that everybody's biased or creating fake news, these other absurd accusations. Yeah, but it's not, yeah, yes, but it's, it's also not a partisan issue. I mean, Obama, he jailed eight people for leaking information to the press. I mean, that's more than any other administration, I believe, in history. Mm. So, I mean, it didn't start with Donald Trump. It's been like... Sure. For a long time, basically since 9-11, when um, George W. Bush started using like the Espionage Act to start imprisoning people for leaking documents and talking to the press. And under the idea that this is for our protection and Mm -hmm. this is for our safety and that sort of like Obama definitely like rolls with that same kind of attitude, even though he claimed to be very progressive and um Trump obviously has the same kind of attitude plus some. So I'm I'm curious to know how that evolves over the years. No, you're right. It definitely isn't partisan. I mean, Bill de Blasio is known. He's ultra progressive mayor of New York City, famously has a, a really rough relationship with journalists. I think in general, a, a lot of elected officials can have, you know, difficult relationships relationships with journalists just because they're concerned about the coverage i think particularly executives too right because you're just like you're out there on your own and you're you're pretty you know solitary target um whereas legislators can kind of hide a little bit exactly most most people don't know that (laughs) we exist and so it's fine how many members of congress are there like 400 plus right 
Um, so the comments, you know, one thing I've always wondered about, and you kind of touched on this is like, how do, do you read them? Do you go through and like read all the comments? Cause I would think that would take a long, long time. I, Especially with some of the bigger stories where you get, you generate like hundreds of comments. No, I don't read all of them. Definitely the ones that generate hundreds of comments. I definitely, there's not even really an effort only because like, I can't. I can't do that. There's not mm-hmm. enough hours in There's the day. Just, yeah, right. um, for the smaller stories we do, I think I used to be a little more vigilant when I first sort of started being the managing editor for The Voice. But again, it's, it's just an issue of time. Mm-hmm. And so I've just asked people to tag The Voice, tag me, send us a message if you see something. But no, there's no, like we would literally, my ideal position is to hire a full-time administrative person. <laughs> Who can sort through emails and be like, hey, Julian, this is what you need. Kelsey, this is what you need. And who would sort of keep an eye on the comments. But again, like lack of money. So um, maybe tell us a little bit about your your new venture. This is the San Antonio Heron. And um, and you're from San Antonio, so you're actually going going home to take this new new job. Um, so what so what is the focus of the San Antonio here? I understand it's got like a it's kind of a focus on the downtown and development. Yeah, so it's <laughs> in a lot of ways I think about it as being the ithicating blog. <laughs> hmm. um, so San Antonio is a city of two million people, and when I went for my sister's wedding in April, I realized that I really wanted to go back. So I ended up. Um, sort of looking for someone who was also looking to do a new site. And I did find someone and we really hit it off at first and we decided we were going to like do this together. And one of the issues was how do we like narrow the focus of our site? Cause two people can't cover a city of 2 million people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he used to have a blog called the downtown blog. So it made sense to like stay downtown and um, San Antonio in a lot of ways is similar to Ithaca in that, the downtown area is growing and the surrounding neighborhoods are being gentrified at an incredible rate. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was renting a one bedroom house um, with like a parking space and a front porch and a back porch for $650 right wow. outside of downtown. Um, and now I was looking at apartments again because I'm moving down there and I'm seeing these I'm seeing what I'm referring to in my head as Ithaca prices. <laughs> so like I'm seeing apartments for like $1,200 and it's like a closet. <laughs> wow. Really? Um, yeah. And so, but. So it must be growing pretty fast. The downtown area is that. Yeah. Well, the city is really focused on revitalizing the downtown area and the surrounding neighborhoods have traditionally been really, really low income mm-hmm. neighborhoods. Like that's where you would find people who work as like maids in the hotels and mm-hmm. who because for a long time i mean um if you had money i mean texas is big <laughs> so so you developed outside of the downtown area and you went into the suburbs and you built these giant mansion houses um and, and you just had a big house and you commuted to where you needed to go um but i think millennials in particular really want to like have walkable cities and right. live by where we work like my commute is going to be 20 minutes because I'm going to be living with my mom. And I, I'm just thinking I'm going to spend 40 minutes minimum, like getting like 40 minutes of my day are going to be driving home right. or to work. It's incredible to think about. So like, I guess our generation of people really want to live by where we work. And that's really cool. That's really green. That's really 
smart, but it comes with the consequence when you're pushing out people who've lived in these communities for, I mean, literally generations. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, so I've always argued, and the mayor makes this argument too, is that with this higher demand for downtown housing, there's not been a consequent increase in supply. So San Antonio facing kind of the same thing that Ithaca is where, you know, at least in my view and Brian Crandall's view, we are not even close to meeting the surge in demand for new housing. No, I I don't think that's it. I think it's a little different. I think it's about um, San Antonio is so big that each neighborhood has its own feel. So like the near West side feels a certain way. It's its own community. Like, Southtown has its own like really specific vibe and community. And it's almost so I always say there's like a million layers of government in New York government. Mm-hmm. So in Tompkins County, for instance, that we have like Dryden and Groton and Caroline. And each of those communities feels really different, I think. Um so if you can imagine those being neighborhoods <laughs> instead of yeah. townships. That's sort of what it's like. And so all of these places have really unique communities. And there is more housing on the outskirts of San Antonio or in the more suburban areas. But people can't afford cars. And the buses out there, I used to, when I lived in the suburbs and I didn't have a car, spend an hour and a half and three buses getting to college. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these people who work in hotels and in the restaurant industry, which restaurants close at like midnight, right? How are you going to catch a bus at one in the morning? Um, It's really creating a lot of issues. It's really pushing people out of their communities. Um, So it's not necessarily, there's not enough housing because on the outskirts of town, there, there is housing and it is more affordable. It's more about just the destruction of these communities that have existed for as long as, San Antonio has been around, so and they're and those and they're getting pushed out because the housing prices are rising in those yeah because the housing prices are rising in those neighborhoods and then they get pushed further and further out yeah I mean is there a lack of affordable housing like closer there is there is a lack of affordable housing downtown as well Um, yes so there is a lack of like housing that people can afford and there's a lack of mid level housing right yeah but doesn't say to me that does sound kind of similar because we also have affordable housing on the outskirts. Um, at least more affordable. I think the problem is nobody wants to live in the outskirts for this, the reasons you you cited. Like you need a car, and it takes more time. So it sounds like maybe overall in the in the in the region there's enough housing, but there's because of the surge, like you said, millennials mm-hmm. want that downtown walkable, bikeable lifestyle. There may not be enough downtown housing. Y- yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's kind of what I was getting at, and so. It seems like every city is dealing with this just because this is not like a local issue. Mm-hmm. Across the country, across the world, people want this more sustainable lifestyle. I think I think I may have read your first post on the Heron, and it was about this tax abatement program that mm-hmm. San Antonio had. And it was very, very similar to Ithaca's. I mean, it almost feels yeah. like the debate is very, very similar. It's like using this tax abatement program to build more housing because you want to revi- revitalize the downtown. But then you realize that the housing you're building is, is more higher end. So then it's like, wait, we shouldn't be using tax abatements to build higher end housing. We need to find a way to build more affordable housing. It was <laughs> I was reading, I think even the acronyms were it's similar. Chip. It was like, yeah, it's called CHIP. It's CHIP. And ours is called CITAP. So it's yeah. like... I was like, oh my God, it's so, it's so funny. Yeah. You're like moving to this new city where, that has like a very similar debate happening around its downtown and revitalization and housing. And Yeah, I'm really excited to report on it. So in Ithaca, I don't really report a lot about 
these issues. It's more Brian Crandall's beat. Like he's been doing it <laughs> right. literally 10 years now. Yeah. So I don't really, I don't like get onto his turf like that. That's what he does. And I certainly have enough to do. Um, but going home, I'm actually really excited. So we're focusing on downtown and we're doing only news that is related to development, retail, businesses, housing. And we're going to do one of the things we keep saying is we want to spend more time in people's living rooms than we do in meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really excited to take. I'm really excited to report on something new yeah. and to have like a new topic to learn how to navigate and it must be nice going back home too. I'm sure that feels good. Yeah. 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 That actually I think gets us to tacos. Mm, right. Yeah. Well, yes. so what, <laughs> what do you like about Ithaca that you will miss in San Antonio or and vice versa? Yeah. I was just talking about this. Tacos being one of them. <laughs> okay. So what I'm going to miss from Ithaca are I'm going to miss the gorges. I'm going to miss the hikes. I'm going to miss the dog park like crazy. And, um, I'm going to miss the people. I mean, I think you choose to live in Ithaca because there's people with your ideology. And going back to San Antonio, I was reminded recently that I'm like, I'm moving literally into like Trump country. (laughs) I'm moving into a very red state. Um, Yes, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss the progressive minds. I'm going to miss these like new, like, like this lack of fear for, of, of trying new things like the Ithaca plan or the lead program or affordable housing issues. I'm going to miss, um, you know, I'm really going to miss people showing up to public meetings for things like wanting the playground and the commons open. Like yeah. that's, I, I okay. <laughs> so that's really, really cool. Like those people care. They yeah. took time out of their life to care. They deserve right. to be heard. So I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss, um, the ice cream, hundred percent, and I do like purity, but sweet Melissa's. I'm with you. I'm sweet Melissa fan all the way. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I do. I do love purity. I'd like to say, but I, me too. Yeah, I, I like to. I suddenly got into like the the sherbet, the stacked sherbet cones. So now I'm hmm. doing like orange sherbet and raspberry sherbet stacked. I saw that on Instagram, and then I did it. And, I literally had one right before I came here. Actually, you inspired me to try that too. And you're correct. It is phenomenal. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in general, they have just great soft serve. And that's why I love them so much. Yeah. Their hard ice cream is good too. Yeah. It is for sure. But because it's seasonal, I think on top of it already being like a high quality product, the fact that you can only get it during the summer means I want it all, you know, I want it all the time. Yeah, I live right around the corner from there, and I feel like I go all the time. <laughs> so, what are you what are you going home to that uh, mm. that Ithaca couldn't provide for you? An affordable place to live. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. An affordable place to live. Um, a lot of tacos. So many tacos. My favorite taco stand. It's called El. Okay, I'm gonna say it wrong because I don't speak Spanish. It's called El Rogelio, and it is in the parking lot of a male strip club, and uh. Like a techno bar, I think wow. it is now. That bar's gone through a lot of changes, so that could be inaccurate. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's in the parking lot there, and you go at like 2 a.m., and the tacos are the best tacos you've ever had, and they have like corn in a cup. They have like, you can buy like a cup of beans, and people go just to buy the cup of beans because it's so delicious. Wow. Uh, <laughs> the tacos. And then, fun note, my co-founder actually, uh, his name is Ben Olivo, he founded a new site called uh, The Tacoist. 
<laughs> and for a while, he was his, his job, and he still does it sometimes, I think, was to go to different taco joints and just judge the tacos on tortilla, on filling, on salsa, on service, on atmosphere. That's and awesome. he has done an amazing job. So we really, on paper, I mean, this looks like a good idea. <laughs> so, and, and my family lives there too. So there's that. Huge part. So you po- you posted a lot about tacos. And I'm wondering, did you ever find a decent taco in Tompkins County? I did, yes. Uh, the tacos at Bickering Twins are literally, they're just. They're great. They're great. They're so good. And at lunch, it's three tacos for $10. Hmm. It's incredible. And then I thought, well, maybe they're going to be like smaller tacos or maybe they're going to, um, I don't know, cut back on the filling and they don't. Like I get the shrimp tacos. They are filled to the brim with like shrimp and vegetables and you'd like their mushroom. Like they are so good. And those guys put a lot of effort into like understanding the culture. They, Mm -hmm. I think, went on a tour through Mexico or other parts of Central America, maybe. Um, Mm. But yeah, the tacos are really good. And in a pinch, I actually, before the Bickering Twins, really liked the tacos at Luna. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're good. They're not, I would not call them traditional tacos, but I would eat them. They're good. I was going to know, I like both those places too. And and I was wondering, like, do I like tacos that are actually good? And uh, turns out, turns out you do. You do. You would love San Antonio. The tacos are very good. We'll have to visit. Yeah. Wasn't uh, the the mayor was famous, right? Castro was he? Uh, Castro? Yeah, Julio. yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Isn't he? Isn't he running for president? Maybe he isn't might. <laughs> I think it's interesting though because so I don't think he's ready in San Antonio. Is it the case that the mayor? I'm, I'm air quoting right now. Is a, just a member of the city council that they select to be like the representative, the executive for the city or something? I don't know. They do. They have a weak mayor system, right? Yeah, so he's, it's not like a very powerful, it's not like he's the city manager. How do you know that? I remember just reading about it. I mean, he became like a rising star of the Democratic Party because he was mayor of San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And then I looked into it further, and I'm like, not to diminish the role, but he Mm -hmm. didn't run at large the way many mayors do. Right. And I remember reading about him Mm -hmm. and about the position and just being a little bit surprised that he had hit. Because, you know, there's like, like Bill de Blasio, obviously Mm -hmm. it's, they call that a strong mayor. Mm-hmm. It's like you're the head of the city and you can fire mm-hmm. and appoint people. Whereas a weak mayor is more of like a member of a legislator who might be mm-hmm. like the chair of the legislature. And it's yeah. not a, like a high paying position. I think it only pays like a few thousand dollars. I know like one of the interesting things about um, I think the mayor position is like it was Julian Castro. And then, um, oh man, it was, oh, oh damn it. <laughs> It was the woman that came after him, but she was uh, very, very conservative. And then after that, now we have a really liberal mayor, uh, Ron Nuremberg. But I think it's interesting, like San Antonio is so purple right now. Like it's Mm -hmm. going really going back and forth. Um, It's definitely one of those places where every vote counts for sure. (laughs) Well, Texas seems like it's going through some political changes. I mean, the the Senate candidate, Beto Mm -hmm. O'Rourke, he's like five points behind Ted Cruz and the Polls. I mean, that would be if he won. That would be the first time in twenty some odd years. A that, long time, long yeah. Since, probably since Lyndon Johnson. Mm. Um, so it seems like Texas is changing in some ways well, politically. I think on paper it might look that way, but in practice, being in Texas, one thing it still felt like being in Texas. I mean, mm-hmm. um, yeah, people are conservative in ways that would horrify Ithacans. <laughs> like like my right. sister, she's very uh she's extremely Catholic and extremely 
conservative and she's very, she's like, and she's seven years younger than me. So she's one of those really like right wing up and coming, very active conservatives. Mm -hmm. Um, And that community is really, really strong in San Antonio. I mean, it Mm -hmm. makes for interesting news and interesting conversations. I bet. And in practice, but I I think in practice it's, um, well, I mean, yeah, I think in practice it's very, very interesting to see what happens to communities that are constantly going through leadership changes and philosophies like that. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, that's interesting to think about because like Ithaca, I mean, there, there are slight gradations in change. I mean, we had a mayor who a few term, a few 10 years ago was an independent, but I'm probably been, I think he had actually been registered Republican. But if you looked at him and you looked at Carolyn Peterson, our last mayor, and you looked at Savante, I mean, there's not a huge amount of difference between them. But then if you look at a place like Texas, obviously there's going to be a huge difference between, and it is interesting to think about what that must be like to actually have like a real shift in ideology. Uh, between one mayoral administration and then and then another, uh, it's interesting. Especially because most cities, even in red states, are generally pretty progressive leaning, and so I don't think there are a whole ton of cities where it is so purple. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, San Antonio is going to be a really interesting adventure. But again, what I'm really going to miss just like the Ithaca Festival, which has to be the best thing in the world, and like the Ithaca Festival Parade, which is yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, talk about something that manifests like Ithaca half, culture. Half the community marches in the place. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's really true. I, I marched half. in it this year with Giac, and I was just like, everybody is here. Like, everybody I know is in the parade. Like, And then you and then you march in it, and you're like, wow, there's actually people watching it. So yeah. Like, like, waiting in the rain for more than waiting an hour Waiting in the rain. It amazed it. me. There's totally these people. It was, it. like, raining. And there's all these people lining the street to watch the parade. I'm really going to miss that. <laughs> well, we're going to miss you. I think, you know, I encountered a lot of resistance to the idea of someone who has only lived the community less than a decade becoming like a leader on Common Council. I think you're a phenomenal example of someone who has lived here only, again, air quoting, several years, but has made such a huge impact on, you know, reporting the news, making information accessible to everybody and contributing to the community in a huge way. So I've, I mean, for obvious reasons, because I too am a transplant, I push back on this idea that if you weren't born here, you don't get a say in what happens. And put me aside, I think you're a, a wonderful example of that. Yeah, thank you so much. That's it's a relief because I think a lot of times um, when you're working in such a small community and you're working with such a small staff, it really feels like you're like stabbing in the dark and wondering like, did that was that important? Did people think that was interesting? Was that meaningful? I mean, the, the voice has had such a huge impact in the culture locally i think it's i mean it's it's enormous i mean even really important stories like you mentioned the 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 rape at at lot 10 and like the the dialogue that started um but i mean everything i mean just think back about all the different stories that have happened um it's been i think it, it really achieved what it set out to do which was to fill that gap that had been left from the journal being cut back I don't see any other outlet shared as much as Ithaca Voice articles. And I know Facebook is frustrating still for you, but on, on that metric, Ithaca Voice is defeating the other uh, outlets by far. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I think we're really lucky to, to just, with journalism crumbling in the community, I think we're lucky to have a lot of different outlets to mm. to like fill the gap and create just a level of like competition and spread of information. Do you think the voice will survive when you leave? 
<laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I say we're like there's a, a slight pause. There. <laughs> yeah, it makes me a little nervous. Here. Yeah. Um, I say we're we're like Batman. We're an idea. You can't kill an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So I think I think the voice is going to survive. I think it's going to be great. And I think um, yeah. And I think like even if the voice were to one day not when I leave, but just like one day, like not exist anymore, like I think anyone could come in and be like the voice. I think anybody could do it. And it's. It's a really scary idea. And the funny thing is like this community like fosters that kind of like entrepreneurship and creativity. Like, Cause I know in San Antonio and starting the Heron, it's almost like, what do you mean you're starting an organization? Mm. Like that's insane. But in Ithaca, people are just like, okay, yeah. All right. right. And I think, I think like anybody could do it if they're willing to, to work really, really hard to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think the voice is going to be fine. And I think like, yeah, I mean, you really can't kill the idea that new should be free and new should be local. Yeah. Well, well, great. Thank you for uh, participating. Thanks for coming on short notice. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And best of luck with the uh, the new job. We'll Thanks. be reading from afar. Absolutely. Especially if the issues are, are very similar. Yeah, I'm really excited to. I'm, I'm really excited to start there. Very sad to leave. Like, I'm almost, like, frozen in place. But, yeah. Thanks, Julian. Thanks.